I would not spend too much time just trying to understand the theory because I think it can quickly get overwhelming if you don't have the hands-on practical experience. Welcome to the So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist podcast, where we interview awesome data scientists and other data professionals. This show is part of the website So You Wanna Be a Data Scientist.com. Visit the website to get access to articles and other resources on becoming a data scientist, like my free data science Kickstarter course. And if you liked the episode, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. But for now, enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of So You Want to Be a Data Scientist podcast. Today, I have Naz Levant with me. She's a data scientist at Amazon Web Services. Welcome, Naz. Thanks for having me, Mr. Yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for making the time. So can you tell us about what Amazon Web Services do or what do you do there? Sure thing. So AWS is um, world's, one of the world's most comprehensive and broadly adopted cloud, pro, uh, cloud platform. And we have dozens of services from where we deploy from our data centers globally. And our customers range from startups to large enterprises. And what I do there is, is data science consultancy, where I help our enterprise customers achieve their business goal utilizing machine learning and AI. Nice. So you have clients and then you go to those clients and give them data science consultancy using AWS tools. Did I get that right? Exactly. It, it's not necessary for our customers to understand data science as well. Uh, we mm-hmm. work backwards from their business problem, from what is it that they want to achieve. And mm-hmm. uh, given the problem that they have, we, we think about what are some services that we can utilize given the current uh, machine learning um, knowledge that we have. And then mm-hmm. we work backwards from the business problem to deliver them an architecture that could uh, potentially solve their problem. Okay, so it's not just one small uh, project, but you also do big-sized projects, including architecture and everything. Exactly. So we can deliver anything from a simple POC that takes a couple of weeks to machine learning production workloads that can carry multiple different uh, data science work streams. Wow, that's very cool. So it sounds to me like it's kind of like a consultancy type of work, right? Exactly. Okay. Nice. And how did you end up where you are? Can you tell us a bit about your journey? Sure. So I was doing my master's in Belgium at K11 on artificial intelligence. And I started looking for a job quite early, I will say, in January, uh, six months before I graduated. And um, during this time, I applied to many different companies where Amazon Web Services was one of them. So they asked me whether if I would be interested in having a phone interview where I applied for a big data consultancy position, actually. It was a different position that I'm currently working in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did the technical phone interview. They said that they were happy and would like to meet me in the Netherlands for a face-to-face interview series. Mm-hmm. So during the four interview series that I was having there, they, the hiring manager realized that I'm quite interested in data science as well not only big data. And mm-hmm. he asked me whether if I would be interested in having another interview for this time for data science. 
So that was what I wanted as well. So I was very happy he asked me that. And I said, of course, I would love to do that. And then after I went back home, they arranged another data science interview with me. And then after this interview, they offered me the position. Nice. That's, that's a very nice story. And uh, this is your first job then out of school. Exactly. I had two internships uh, during my bachelor's, but this is my first full-time job. Nice. That's very cool. And uh, sorry, I, I think I missed it. What did you study at uh, mas- at your master's, KU Lo- Loewen? Did I say that right? <laughs> yes, uh, that's correct. So I studied artificial intelligence mm-hmm. and uh, my specialization there was on big data. I see. Oh, that's very similar to me, actually. I also studied big data engineering and then became a data scientist. <laughs> That sounds great, yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, okay. So you got a whole master's degree on artificial intelligence, but did you have to take other online courses or online certifications? Um, Not really. Uh, I did so many job interviews that I knew all of my weak spots uh, by the mm-hmm. time that I was doing my interview. So I think what prepared me the most was having to go through these mini job interviews um, aside from this, I only took one online course during my bachelor's, and that gave me my internship position, actually. Um, nice. Yeah. That's very cool. And what about data science was so appealing to you? Why did you choose data science? So actually, um, while I was uh, doing my bachelor's in computer science in Turkey, um, my professor's recommended me to Vodafone for for an internship, which was for one year. And the first six months was going to take in place in the data science R&D department. And the other six months was going to take in business intelligence in the IT department. So my first six months was one of my favorite periods um, during my study. And bear in mind that I had to wake up at 5.30 a.m. every single day that I worked, Uh, you know, the Istanbul traffic and and the road. (laughs) So even even that did not uh, stop me from really liking um, data science. And after that, I decided that this is the area that I would like to pursue. I did my graduation project in this area, and then I did my uh, application for my master's so that I could uh, build myself a career around this topic. Nice. So you already knew this all the way back from your bachelor's that you wanted to become a data scientist. Exactly. So I didn't really know how much different different jobs that I could take because a data scientist can do so many different things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I vaguely knew that this is the area that I wanted to work with data. Mm-hmm. And uh, this might be a, a little bit too personal, so feel free to say no to answering this question. But I was just wondering, where would you like to go in the coming years of your career? Do you have a plan for your future, let's say five to 10 years? Uh, yes, actually, perhaps you already realize that I'm I'm a big time planner. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually have, have a couple of ideas that where I would like to be. And I also regularly have mentors in, in within the organization who can help me achieve and who, who help me navigate uh, through my goals. Um, so I would like to be leading a team of talented people um, and I would like to be building cutting edge technology in the AI domain with them. 
So that is one thing that I know that I would like to change companies and people's lives, but by changing um, the current state of the art. Uh, and I would like to do that within a team with very talented, gifted people, because over time I realized that I really like being around different people who, who can teach me things. And being in this area also teaches you that you can never stop learning. So I would like to be in an environment where I'm always um, getting affected by these people and also helping other young people um, building their careers up. Nice. That's a, I think that's a very nice goal to have for the future. And um, so let's go back to what you do a little bit more, talk about your projects. Can you give us some examples of projects that you've done so far? Sure. Um, so because because I work in a consultancy fashion, I, I have a lot of different customers that are all coming from different backgrounds. Um, so one day I could be doing computer vision for reducing manual effort for a customer, whereas other day building a forecasting model for predicting demand for a, a certain fashion retailer. Um, one public project that I finished last year is Formula One, where I, I was working on predicting um, which cars are going to be overtaking the other and how difficult this overtake is going to be. And the goal of this project was to engage the audience, uh, engage the fans and show them what is actually happening during an F1 race real time. Mm -hmm. So for me, it, it was a very fun project to deliver because once it's uh, on production, you see your results on screen during races. Mm -hmm. I had no idea about uh, Formula One races. Like I did not even know what a pit stop was. Uh, I did not understand why drivers had to change their tires during a race. So my colleagues um, explained all of this to me. And then I became such a big fan that people were <laughs> very surprised that in, in one month, I knew all the drivers by their name, by their numbers. I knew the politics and gossips happening around <laughs> in the sports. Uh, and then we even went to a race to actually see it ourselves. So it's a, it was a very fun project, uh, for example. So all of my projects are quite different from each other. But it's it's usually the case that um, the customer tells us what is it that they want to have. And then we work backwards to see how we can get there. Nice. But this Formula One project sounds awesome. It's, it's super fun. And is that was that the official Formula One? I don't know what it's called, the Confederation. <laughs> What was it those guys that came to uh, AWS for help? Oh, excuse me for interrupting you past Mistra, but I have something important to share with your listeners. If you want to upgrade your career and become a data scientist, you need some experience, period. Employers don't really care about how many online courses you've taken or how many hours of Python tutorials you watched. They just want to be able to trust you to conduct a project independently. And do you have that skill already? Well, if not, head over to my course, Hands-On Data Science, complete your first portfolio project, and you'll be on your way to impress future employers in no time. You can find the link in the show notes. Yeah. 
So yes, we have we have an agreement with uh, F1. So if you Google F1 AWS, you will see a whole website uh, with the, all of the projects that we work together with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, my department mainly worked for the pit stop strategy and battle forecast projects in the website. So I was working on the battle forecast project. So we, we are helping them in multiple different streams. And one of them was actually um, live graphics utilizing AIML. Mm-hmm. Nice. And you actually got to see your work on TV in action. Exactly. Actually, the first race happened um, for the Battle Forecast uh, project in Germany. Um, and it was quite rainy that day. And I was uh, and I was in a hotel room actually in Germany as well uh, for another customer. And I, I had a pretty bad internet and I was trying to watch this uh, live race and it was raining very heavily. And um, for any fans uh, who watch F1, they, they will know that the rain makes a race very interesting, but it really messes up with the models <laughs> that mm-hmm. you have. So because uh, everything is different when, when there's a rain. So I, I was, uh, and in, in the end, uh, the newspaper reporter said that it was the most chaotic race of the last five years. And that was the first time my model went to life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it uh, must be very hard <laughs> when circumstances are extremely different than what you modeled them on. <laughs> nice. But you mentioned that you were in Germany also for another client. Uh, do you travel a lot as part of your work? I mean, not right now, but, you know, normally in normal times. <laughs> Uh, yes, it used to be the case that I used to travel so often that uh, I, I keep track of all of the um, loyalty programs for all airlines. And then, oh, that much. <laughs> wow. Exactly. But uh, since COVID, uh, we also stopped traveling uh, quite sure. a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm resting in Amsterdam at the moment. Nice, nice home base. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, you already mentioned that you do very different types of work. Um, So it kind of makes answering this question a little bit harder, but I still want to learn from you. What what is a typical deliverable for you? It could be a couple of things, of course. What what do you typically deliver to clients at the end of a project? So we always try to um, ask our clients, um, what is it that they really want in the end? Uh, What why are they asking for the things that they're looking for? Um, to see, perhaps they're looking for a demand forecasting model, but they're going to use this to adjust their stocks. So um, h- how is it that we can, for example, evaluate this? Um, because, for example, in forecasting, under-forecasting costs differently than over-forecasting, where traditional methods uh, doesn't work to calculate the actual impact of your model so we always um, take it from the business outcome and then given the business outcome we usually before starting a project we scope it where we think about how many people should be working on this project uh, from what time till what time and then in the end of this poc if it's in the end successful how we would go to production with it so my work starts with um, scoping the project for some projects, and then I join to the project uh, with the based on the problem. Uh, the pre-processing takes different amount of time. If it's a classical machine learning model, it's going to take longer compared to a deep learning model. And then 
we always make sure that we have a customer baseline where are we adding value to our customer and if so how much value and then given this we have the pre-processing modeling and then the evaluation bit and then we iterate until we we are happy with the results once we're happy with the results we change the data science results to business understandable metrics we present to the business and then once the business is happy, then we start planning for architecture, which is how shall we go to production uh, with these models that we have? Shall we use containers, serverless, like Lambda? And then um, we start uh, working with CI/CD pipelines. It's very cool. So you basically do very end-to-end -end work. Exactly. We, we would like to be able to support our customers from start to finish. But once we finish our um, production pipeline, we would like the customer or the partner to hand over the job from us so that we can reiterate the same things uh, for other customers. So usually our job doesn't maintain uh, model monitoring. We provide them the tools and the alerts and services that enables them to do that. But we don't usually stay in a customer for very long periods of time because we want to redo the same process in many different customers so that they can also be enabled to reach their business goals. I see. And that, that makes a lot of sense, of course. Yeah, if you keep maintaining everyone's models, that might take a lot of time at the end. You might just end up maintaining models for the rest of your life. <laughs> exactly. For that reason, um, if we either deliver our work to the technical team and we have in our customers or we have many different partners, different consultancy groups that we work with or we hand over to them uh, the customer's uh, preferred partner. And among all these things, what does a weekday look like for you? So when you wake up, how much, you know, you sit down in front of your computer, how much time do you spend on, I don't know, data gathering, data cleaning or modeling or talking to clients? So for data gathering, um, we usually try to spend minimum amount of time because we usually say we're here to make the most impact as possible within the minimum amount of time possible. So usually the customer tries to make sure the data is ready. In some cases, the data cannot be re ready for different reasons and it needs to be collected. And then in that case, we start talking about how we can collect this data. It's usually we use SageMaker Ground Truth for this. Uh, for example, the customer would have to keep the data confidential, so it needs to be arranged a confidential team who can label certain documents and certain images. So it's usually the case, but most of the time that the data is already ready. And depending on the problem, I could be doing um, some data pre-processing on it and some modeling afterwards and evaluation. And then I usually go back through this cycle until the deadline is coming up uh, for me. Uh, and then while the deadline is coming up, I also would like to calculate the impact of the model. So a workday is, every single day is quite different because all the customers are so different and there can be other responsibilities for me to do interviews or when I see a problem, the common problem customers have, uh, if I see it in multiple customers, then I work on building reusable artifacts 
which can be redeployed in multiple different customers with minimum effort in implementing because somebody already created a solution for it. So it usually really depends on um, on customers, but uh, that's basically how the work is distributed. Do you also get one-on-one uh, time with clients? Do you get to get into their meetings and understand, you know, what they need and how can you solve their problems? Yes. Uh, so once we have a really good understanding of the customer problem, we usually start with a kickoff where we sit down with the customer and really try uh, to dive deep on how we're going to start. And then it's like any other software engineering problem where we work with a usually agile methodology and which methodology that we're going to use is usually up to the customer because we don't really try to teach the customer something new rather we would like to be aligned with how they work so whether it's kanban or if it's scrum the customer likes how they like to work and then um, we work on regular updates if they want dailies we work with dailies or weeklies so we usually always keep the customer in loop given that the solution is built for them. And um, before starting a project, we also ask for customers' attention and time so that we, while we're delivering, we're making sure that what, what they're getting is, is the thing that they're asked for. I see. So it's very client-dependent, uh, how much meetings you're going to have, how often you're going to need to give updates to them, etc. Exactly. Also, before COVID, uh, the client chose how much they needed us to travel to mm-hmm. a customer location. So we, we really work aligned with our customers. Um, it's usually not the case that uh, we are in somewhere isolated, uh, at least before COVID, that uh, we take on the project and we finish it and then we don't present them just the final thing. They are involved so that not only they can make decisions, but also they can see and observe how we work so that they can um, collect tips and continue working with the Amazonian fashion. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, what what tool do you use while you're doing this work? This could be, you know, programming language or IDEs. I mean, I'm pretty sure you use AWS, for example. That's one thing. But do, what else do you use? Exactly. So uh, imagine all AWS AI uh, services. Um, so we have three stacks uh, in AWS AI services. The top stack is usually the high level services that any developer can use, but it's also great for data scientists because, uh, for example, there is Amazon Forecast. It has seven to eight different algorithms in it. And with only one input data, you can test all of them at the same time with hyperparameter tuning involved. So it's really great for baselining before we really dive deep into a project. So we have our high-level services um, that can do NLP, computer vision, forecasting, chatbots, etc. So depending on the customer, I might be using some of those. And then in the mid-layer, we have Amazon SageMaker, 
and I call it a data scientist's best friend. And I, I cannot uh, remember my life for it. Um, it's it enables you to use Jupyter notebooks, for example, but with the instances that you choose. So given any GPU or memory that you're looking for, you can arrange it and spin up an instance. It's quite fast. You can use GrantRoot to collect and label data. With SageMaker experiments, for example, I run so many experiments for my customers that it's very difficult to keep track after what one point uh, to remember which parameters that I used or which input data for that model performed uh, with how many precision. So with SageMaker experiments, you can see all of the experiments that you run with which parameters and also um, which input data and what was the evaluation result from it. So for model drifts, given the input data, what, what is the changes in model quality? Is something changing? And also you can even deploy your machine learning model. And this is just some of them. So I use SageMaker every single day, starting the day that I joined. Uh, and then uh, in SageMaker, of course, we have Jupyter Notebooks. Uh, my favorite language is Python. Um, sometimes customers use R. Um, it's usually quite difficult to carry an R code to production. So we usually recommend uh, Python, but if the customer wants to continue with R, it's also, we also work with R as well. So it's, and also, for example, um, for building CI CD pipelines, we have cloud formation templates, cloud development kits templates, because we build one solution, uh, but the customer may want to deploy it in multiple different regions, within multiple different um, countries within their organization, let's say. So we built one template for them, which they can deploy uh, in not only many different regions, but also in their dev and prod account and test accounts as well. So um, I use a lot of tools and I'm a very big fan of my tools and I can speak a lot about them. But uh, definitely Python is something that I use very often. And then the second thing is SageMaker and everything around it is uh, supporting uh, tools for me. I see. Well, that, that's nice. I mean, I also definitely am a Python girl, so <laughs> I don't prefer R so much. Yeah, <laughs> but I think it's also nice to uh, nice for our audience to hear this because many people really focus on trying to learn Python or trying to learn R. But at the end of the day, especially if you take a consultancy sort of job, you're going to have to use one or the other interchangeably. Maybe maybe even Scala or some other new programming languages that are coming out, like Julia. You know, so it's it's. I think it's nice to keep an open mind when it comes to programming languages in that sense. Exactly. I, I always think that programming language is just a tool. And what's really important is the logic behind programming. And if you understand the logic of it, for example, I used Java for five years before I started using Python. And it was completely fine for me to do the conversion, although they are quite different. So I think... Um, you don't really have to really, like you said, focus on one language. It's just what really matters is what you're doing with that language. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned, I think, the second time CI/CD pipelines. Can you briefly explain what they are for our audience? Of course. Um, CI/CD pipelines are continuous in integration, continuous development pipelines. So they look different for all projects. For However, for data science projects, they usually have four different stacks. 
The first step is the data pre-processing. Imagine that you have a model and you, a company is using this in production. You would first, once the data comes into your system, it would have to go through different pre-processing steps. So the pre-processing pipeline handles this. Depending on how large or small your data is, you can choose the services that you like, whether if you would like to use Spark or Hadoop, or maybe just Python to do this pre-processing step. After this, we have the training pipeline where the data is now ready for your model and you train your model. And this, is, this can be based on a schedule. So you can say every Monday retrain my model, or you can just say whenever there is new data, retrain my model. And this trains and saves your model to allocation. And then there is the inference pipeline, which does the, uh, which does a request to your model. It gives you the new input data that you want to use, and then uh, it, the request returns you the output from your model, so you can uh, present that to your user. And the fourth pipeline is is your build pipeline, which makes all of this possible. Given that uh, a data scientist pushes code to their Git account. Um, it triggers this whole pipeline and there are new updates already in place. Say you want to change your model, the data scientist does the updates, they push the code to Git, and suddenly they have a new model running on production. Nice, that sounds super... Uh, convenient. <laughs> convenient, yes. <laughs> sounds very convenient, actually. Uh, especially if you're constantly deploying new models, I think that must be like a dream come true. <laughs> Exactly. I think uh, most data scientists are quite happy with uh, such a uh, structure. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so we talked about the tools that you used uh, in a technical sense, but I'm also curious about the soft skills that you're using. What would you say the most relevant soft skills are for a data scientist? So definitely communication is a big one uh, understanding your customer and what is it that they're looking for especially um, working in such a multinational company um, you should be you should be aware of how each customer is different due to their cultural backgrounds and it's also important to not have bias for example for certain customers and um, aside from this um I, I always say that I'm, I'm not the greatest uh, public speaker, but I understand how important it is. Uh, for example, um, for one of my KPIs, uh, this is not an official KPI, but this is something that I put for myself, is to reshare the knowledge that I gained. So I usually try to seek opportunities uh, in locations that I can present um, because I, I am aware that um, data science can be sometimes quite intimidating. So I usually try to make it easier and more understandable to not only our customers and partners, but also to other people who are not interacting with us day to day. So definitely presentation skills are quite an important one as well. Yeah, totally agree. Especially if you're in the consultancy area. I mean, I can see how you can get away with just being on your computer if you're like an in-house data scientist. But if you're going to work with clients, you basically are representing your company, right? So you have to be like in their faces, being able to explain uh, in the best way what they what you understand that they need, what you can bring to them or what your solution does also. 
Exactly. And uh, for us, we not only are a, a consultancy company, but also we are a service. In the end, we, we our goal is for our customers to be able to utilize AWS fully, um, hopefully um, utilize multi-cloud or running on only on AWS. So it's quite important that uh, we are giving the right message across. Definitely. So I'm curious, though, I mean, you seem like you're very, you sound like you're very happy already at your job, but I'm still curious about what the most exciting thing is for you. So for me, I will say it's the uh, jumping from, I will say, flower to flower like a bee and um, (laughs) always changing the projects because um, this is the uh, most fun and also the most difficult part, in my opinion, in my job that I always have to learn especially the domain of the customer. Like uh, in F1, I really had to learn how these cars work and how the race happens and what what are the engineering teams do there. And then I moved on to a fashion retailer and then I learned how fashion works and how seasons change in fashion and how often they need to have new uh, seasonal items. And then I changed to an energy provider where I learned about how to get the best deal for my uh, utility provider, but also the all sorts of other things. So I think the most interesting part for me is constantly learning about all these different sectors. And AWS is innovating so quickly. I also try to keep up with all the new services that we are coming up with. Nice. That sounds awesome. And what about the most boring part of your job or the part that you enjoy the least, let's say? So I will say um, the mo- there's the boring part and there is a the difficult part, I will say. The difficult part will be every time that we go into a customer, we have to earn their trust. And um, that's and then we usually come to a very comfortable stage with the customer where we are very happy with the way that we are working with. And then the project finishes and then we start a new project. And then this whole earning trust process starts again. So in the beginning of my career, this was the one thing that it took me a while to get used to, that I always have to be earning trust of the new customers because they don't know me and I don't really know them. So I need to understand what is it that they, that we have to deliver to earn their trust. So I think this is a difficult part. Um, the boring part, let me think about that. Um, I think the boring part could be um, not really boring, but um, this happens quite a lot that... Uh, in the beginning of the projects, uh, waiting for data is the, is the most boring thing for me because I'm always very keen on, okay, what is it that we're going to start with? Which model that are we going to be using and this and that? And then you realize that uh, the data is going to be late due to some security issues because security is always job number zero and we need to make sure the data is transferred in a secure way. And so we usually have to wait a little bit in the beginning of each project for the data and then that period uh, is not uh, is the least fun for me yeah that i mean i can i can understand why you would get bored (laughs) waiting for data definitely especially if you're like you know waiting to get into it and try to understand everything and actually like do some work that might be very frustrating to wait for data Exactly. And it's uh, usually once we start the project, uh, we usually plan the end date as well. 
and then the more you wait for the data you the more stress you feel because it gives you less time <laughs> yeah i can understand that <laughs> Um, so another thing that I'm curious about is basically the culture. So you studied computer science and then you studied artificial intelligence. One might argue that those are very heavily male um, dominated areas. So how did you experience being a woman in this area? Have you encountered any obvious bias so far? So um, the first uh, the first thing that's quite impressed me uh, with the uh, diversity part of Amazon was actually um, while I was doing my job application, I saw I saw the sign saying that Amazon is an equal opportunity employer and for minority people. And then they describe what a minority people is and it's based on women, disability, whether if this person's veteran, whatever their gender identity is. Uh, their sexual orientation and age and I also sometimes see job listings in our official website for for example mothers who want to come back uh, to their careers after a long break so I'm very fortunate enough to be in a company that values diversity so often in in most of our um, gatherings we usually have a session on diversity and I mean it's, it's the fact that all humans have some sort of a bias that they're not even aware of. So it's quite important, especially, for example, I do interviews. It's quite important for me to take these trainings and make sure that I also don't have any bias or my colleagues don't have any bias. Um, and I, I really like the fact that um, we are a community of people where we are all from different backgrounds. Uh, we are quite the international team. And all of these different backgrounds bring different ideas to the table. And it really enables us to innovate for our customers. So I think it's definitely a strength uh, to have this diversity in the team. And uh, I'm, I'm quite lucky that um, this is a company that really um, has its own diversity team that is keeping us updated regularly around the work uh, and um, I haven't been uh, into any situation that uh, I felt like I was being uh, discriminated against. That's very nice to hear because you know a lot of big com companies just tend to say out loud they're super interested in diversity and inclusion but at the end of the day that only ends up being like two conferences <laughs> every year and then they talk about it for half an hour and that's it but it's it's very nice to hear from an insider that amazon is trying extra hard to actually apply these values into their work every day so that's super cool um my last question to you is basically asking for advice do you have any advice for someone who wants to become a data scientist yeah sure so I think this might this might be counterintuitive because I, I usually give the opposite advice that uh, my colleagues are usually giving. Uh, sometimes it's hilarious uh, when somebody <laughs> asks me and someone else an, an advice. I usually say um, the opposite thing that the other person is saying. So I, I will say um, that definitely get your hands dirty and start coding right away, and leave the theory. Uh, after the coding part. So I will not spend too much time 
just trying to understand the theory because I think it can quickly get overwhelming if you don't have the hands-on practical experience. So I would go to Kaggle and different project websites. Definitely will try to get an internship in the area and then um, start learning from there. However, every time that you learn something new, try to understand the theory behind it. And once you start diving deep, for example, think about a very simple model like random forest. It's actually when you dive deep, it's it can, it gets quite complex because I mean, random forest does works with trees, with decision trees. So how decision trees work? They use um, information gain. How information gain is calculated is by using entropy. And you realize that there are so many layers of this onion that you need to be cutting into. So I would first start by implementing, but also uh, keep in mind the theory behind it. But uh, I think the most important thing is to have a portfolio out there with multiple projects. That's very good advice. I've actually never heard anyone put it that way. You're right. You might be the first person. I mean, I kind of heard people say things that implied this, but I've never really heard anyone say out loud, you know, like, yeah, you should actually do hands-on work first. And actually, uh, this wasn't planned, <laughs> but I have a course also where you can do a hands-on data science. So it's aimed for beginners and it's a course where you start from beginning to end, all the way from gathering data to, you know, cleaning it, exploring it, uh, preparing it, and even like building models on top of our uh, data. And at the end, you will have a model, or you will have a project where you can put in your portfolio. So go check that out. I'll leave the link in the show notes. But yeah, thanks, Naz, for <laughs> mentioning that. It's actually like, I think it's a very good uh, piece of advice for people, because as you said, there is, it's basically endless you can go as deep as you want. You can get into the very deep maths of all the models. But if you if your goal at the end is just to get a job, that might take way longer than it's supposed to when you start getting into the theory behind machine learning, especially. And um, even if you are aiming to get a job, uh, you might not use all that theory, right? You could be learning about NLP and your job could be about computer vision. So I think mm -hmm. definitely... Um, having a portfolio uh, around around the job that you're looking to do is, is the most important thing and of course learn the theory behind it but you you cannot learn everything behind something so for me i i say that i'm specialized in forecasting for example but uh there are so many new changes that i don't know how every single algorithm works and that's completely fine um because you have a structure, a baseline that you can build on top of. So I think definitely something like taking your training and building a portfolio around it and then building on top of it uh, is the thing that makes the most sense. Yeah, definitely. And also I feel like there's something to be said for starting or getting a job and then growing from it, right? You don't have to know exactly what you want to specialize in. Maybe you'll just get a normal data science job 
Well, you will do, you know, basic data science, but maybe while you're working in it, you will realize where you want to go grow towards. So you can change jobs or you can grow inside the same company. These are all very possible. Like once you get a job, it doesn't define the rest of your future. <laughs> exactly. And this job could be a simple internship. And also it could be a data analytics job where you're writing SQL queries, or it can mm -hmm. be a big data job where you're writing Spark code. These are all mm -hmm. starting points that can land you a data science job in the in the future. Yeah, the best way to know what you want is to actually start doing things. So totally agree with you on that. Uh, so Nas, thank you for coming on the show, taking the time to talk to me. This was really awesome. It was great meeting you and hearing from you. So thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, I also had a great time. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to take my free data science kickstarter course to learn what it takes to become a data scientist. See you next time.